Good morning. I thought I was high up uh, in the pulpit at 19th Street Baptist Church on Sunday morning. I feel like this is quite an aerial view <laughs> of the sanctuary. It's good to be here this morning. I certainly want to thank uh, my dear friend and colleague uh, in the ministry, uh, Pastor Julie, and certainly the officers and members of First Baptist. And I want to also thank Manly and Andrew and this wonderful choir uh, that has blessed us today, uh, certainly for the opportunity to be here and to share the gospel message with you. I want to also acknowledge and thank uh, members of 19th Street who are here at Nodegan Love. I want to thank you and the history group for the work that you did this morning. It's just an outstanding job of presenting the history of both of our congregations. Uh, can we certainly give them a hand for the work that they're doing? Amen. Would like uh, this morning to tag this message, witnessing through a storm. Witnessing through a storm. There comes a point, uh, brothers and sisters, when the church has to stand up for what it believes, despite the climate that we face. I don't believe in reckless uh, risk-taking by any means. I don't believe in going and asking for trouble. I don't believe in trying to show off to prove a point. But I have to come to believe, and over the course of my life, that all too often Christians are more concerned about staying out of trouble than being prepared for trouble. Uh, too often we are trying to fit in instead of standing out for God. And too often the church is, as usual, uh, lukewarm rather than doing the necessary work facing adversity to save lives for Jesus Christ. A church that only prepares and preaches and reaches out when things are peaceful is an orderly gathering, not necessarily the church of Jesus Christ. And following Jesus means that the church will inevitably upset somebody, frustrate some folk, and fail to please everybody. But we have to speak the truth anyway, even if it means that we have to witness through a storm. But the first lesson this text teaches us is we can witness through a storm when we exhibit the courage to stand up for what we believe. As we turn to our text today, we we see what it is tailored to teach us. We discover that what happens when we boldly stand up for Christ, even in the midst of hazardous circumstances. Here's the story when the high priest, the captain of the temple guard and Sadducees hear that Peter and John are in the neighborhood and perform a miracle that captivate the imagination of the entire community. The community and the religious leaders are deeply disturbed. They hear the news from the street committee that Peter and John had walked by the beautiful gate of the temple and healed a brother who had been lame for what we can gather for his life. And they heard how the disciples preached about the resurrection of Jesus despite the role of the Sanhedrin in executing Jesus. And they were terrified. Once the religious leaders heard about Peter and John's evangelistic success, they developed 
a plan to shut them down. The apostles broke no laws, and their only problem in the eyes of the religious community was their faithfulness to the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John while they are speaking to the people and the priests were, as we all know, the descendants of the sons of Aaron who served as spiritual leaders in the temple. The captain of the guard was an officer who commanded the Levitical guard of the temple. The Sadducees were the religious conservative, only followed the written traditions of the Torah, the Pentateuch, and not believe, did not believe that there was life beyond this life. As a combinationist, their chief concern was to make peace with Romans' authority. Consequently, the Romans provided the Sadducees great power over the Jewish people, appointing them, some of them, one of them as high priest, the most powerful political figure among the Jewish people. But despite the opposition, thousands were blessed, and their faith was rested, affirmed in the chief cornerstone of our faith. The powers that be were not disturbed until lives were saved. Doesn't it sound like communities that we live in today? Now that we have had over around about 253 mass shootings this year, according to Gun Violence Archive, we are worried about the mental health of the violent extremists. But if we were serious about mental illness in our country, then what we need is not a lot of tough talk. We need funding to support access to mental health services for people who are hurting and desire to hurt others. We need the same politicians who support imposing a ban to limit violent extremists from entering the U.S. to support bans on white supremacist organizations that are terrorizing black, brown, Jewish, and Muslim communities. Now we are concerned about arming every teacher, every employee at Walmart, and every church member with a gun because gun-free zones are the blame for mass shootings. We don't need more guns in our streets. We need all to arm all Americans with the security of knowing that they will not be gunned down in shopping malls, in schools, in churches, based upon the color of their skin, their national origin, their religion, or their ethnicity. And Luke reminds us that the reason those of us who want to make a difference are under attack because the opposition knows that God's word and our witness has the power to transform lives. So understand, brothers and sisters, that the opposition you face this morning is not personal. The opposition will stop at nothing to keep Christ from lighting up the darkness in our world. And First Baptist, when we stand up to bigotry in our world, when we release children from cages and reunite them, you reunite them with their families, when we close the prison, the pipeline, and reinvest in public education, when we start pressing for equal pay, better health care, and affordable housing, that's when you will see folk who will try to shut you down. But stand up for Jesus anyhow. Even when others test your faith, they put Peter and John in jail because they preached the message of Jesus with holy boldness and sanctified power. And when you decide to do what God has called you to do, you will face storm clouds. 
Am I right about it? But you have to stand up for what you believe anyway. Notice that the title of this sermon is not preaching in a storm, is preaching through a storm. That means that the storm is not meant to stay, it's meant to come to pass. You might be in the midst of a storm this morning, but the storm will not last always. A day after they locked Peter and John up, the high priests, Annas, Caiaphas, John Alexander, and the other high priests questioned them. We don't know anything about the high priest's name, John and Alexander, but we do know something about Annas and Caiaphas. They were around when Jesus was alive. Annas is most likely the one who should be held most responsible for the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus. Following the hearing before Annas, Jesus was taken to trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And Caiaphas and the other men charged Jesus with blasphemy and ordered him beaten before turning him over to Pontius Pilate. So now Calvary is over, the grave is empty, but Annas and Caiaphas are still in charge. In our text, they asked Peter and John, by what power do you do this work? And Peter, you know, always one who suffered from a severe case of foot-in-the-mouth disease. He stood up full of the Holy Spirit and said, if you all put us in jail for healing a lame man, you might as well know that we did it in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. But he didn't stay dead. He rose, and we believe that he provides salvation and no one else. And I could imagine in that moment that Annas and Caiaphas said to themselves, not again. We thought that this Jesus was dead and the movement was dead with him. But Peter's response to their question was so filled with Holy Spirit, so thorough, so courageous that the whole high priest saw their courage, Peter of John, and they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. But they took note, notice the text says, that they had been with Jesus. Did you catch that? Here is Peter and John, they're witnessing through a storm, but they noticed three things in these brothers. Everyone saw their courage, everyone saw that they had, were not educated men, and it was clear that they had been with Jesus. This morning, somebody who thought that perhaps they had you cornered with your divorce. They thought they had you cornered with the layoff. They thought you had, had you cornered with the threat against your life and your livelihood. But when they saw your courage, they realized that they had un under underestimated what was inside of you. They thought you were out of their way. They thought that they did not have to deal with you anymore. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, your enemies who counted you out can do nothing but scratch their heads in awe that you are still standing by the grace of God. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can face your enemies and your enemies will see God working through you. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God will open doors for you that your level of education cannot. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you might not know what to say, but when you stand in courage in the moment, the Spirit 
will speak through you. And everybody saw their courage. That was big. There's no doubt in my mind that of all the things that we need when our faith is in the midst of a storm is more courage. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to know what we believe and believe what we believe sincerely. Yes, we need to be prepared, but perhaps bigger than that, when you are witnessing in a storm, you can stand your ground when you know how to summon courage. The only thing that will stop a group of strong Christians from healing a neighborhood is what? No courage. Yes, Christians should always obey the law, but when the law of the land is in conflict with the word of the Lord, God's law must be obeyed. The same spirit of civil disobedience that inspired a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, and multi-faith coalition of black, brown, yellow, and white people during the civil rights movement to stand up against Jim and Jane Crow laws that were out of harmony with the law that affirmed the sacred worth of all people is the same spirit that we need today. They have the courage to stand up to dogs, to billy clubs, to water hoses because they believe that God provides divine help to those who stand for justice, truth, and love. Their courage and their faith were instrumental in compelling two presidents and Congress to pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And as we face white supremacists who are suited up in suits and ties while seated in high places, we need more courage. Yes, we need compromise. We need moral courage. But when people of goodwill have the courage to stand up to evil, darkness is no match for light. At the same point, and at some point in our lives, we have to ask ourselves this question. We have to have the courage and tenacity to say that this stops here. This kind of behavior must stop now. And when you have the courage, you might even be ordinary, unschooled by the world's standards, but you can still make a difference right where you are. When your faith is under attack, your education level really doesn't matter. Peter and John were not trained in the rabbinical schools, and they did not possess formal theological training, but that didn't stop them from being used by God. God is not concerned about whether you have a PhD or no D. And too many of us, when attacked for wanting to do the right thing, run and hide because we don't think we have the required or requisite education. We're not trained enough. We're not equipped enough to make a difference. The more you have, yes, certainly means the more God at times has to work with. But sometimes the more you have, the more full of yourself you are and the less God has to work with. Just give God the best that you have with what you have and let God do the rest. And I see you sitting there today with your ordinary self. And as of today, you have no excuse for not standing up when your faith is under fire. You no longer have an excuse to believe that you, just your ordinary self, cannot make a difference right where you are. Yes, you're ordinary. Yes, I see you. Stop 
acting like you are a nobody. Stop acting like everybody else is more powerful than you are. Don't you know that God created you out of the dust and made you in his image? Don't you know that God put his word inside of you? Don't you know that God is still able to deliver on his promise? Don't you know that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord can lift up a standard against him, Peter and John, one school based upon the world's standards, but they were ready for battle when their faith came under attack. And here, third and finally, you can witness through the midst and in the midst of a storm and through a storm when you refuse to keep silent about what you've seen and heard. The high priest knew that the disciples had been with Jesus and so they must have thought, if we can just stop them now, we will avoid the same kind of scene that we witnessed at the site of the crucifixion of Jesus. When people under attack and when they attack your faith and try to shut you down, it is because they know that you possess power. Your power comes from just lifting up Jesus. Your power is not based upon how many ministries the church is able to create. It doesn't come when all of the pews in the church are full and then we can be full of ourselves with excitement. Power is not based upon any of those other things like the size of the budget. The power in that moment came. They, got the, they received the notice and attention of all the religious leaders in the community, not because they had numbers, not because they had money, but just because they had the courage to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And when Christ is lifted up, sickness can be healed. When Christ is lifted up, communities that are dead can be revived again. When Christ is lifted up, those who are in chains can be set free. Just keep lifting up Jesus. Don't lift up the preacher or not the bishop, not the name of the church. Lift up Jesus. Jesus said, if I shall be lifted up, I will draw all men and women to me. Luke shares this story to remind us that the work we do is bigger than us. Peter and John did not know that when they stood up that they would later be inspiring generations of Christians centuries later who would read their story. They did not know that when they refused to keep silent, that they would inspire believers to pray for greater boulder and greater miracles for the church to perform down through the centuries. The Word of God is like a wave that starts in a pond, flows into a stream, touches a lake, and spills over into the ocean. You don't have to go out and try to change the world by yourself. Just start a wave right where you are. Just use your brick and others will see your brick and begin to add to the very foundation of our faith. I don't know who I'm talking to, but the work you are doing is not insignificant. You may not see the harvest, but keep planting seeds. The word of the Lord says some plant, some water, but in due time, God will provide the increase. The religious folk commanded them not to speak 
for teaching the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, Judge, whether it is not right for us to obey you or God, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. And the good news is the religious leaders let Peter and John go, and they decided not to punish them. Why? Because the text says all the people were praising God for what had happened in the life of a lame man who had been cured from his leprosy. This leads me to the second reason why Luke tells this story. He wants us to know that when we witness for Christ, the Lord will provide us with cosmic protection. When the church comes under, come together and begins to praise God, it releases the Holy Spirit that provides cosmic protection. And when we are covered with the Holy Spirit, we can be transformational people. We can do more than worship together on Sunday morning, though that's important. We can help change someone's life who's in a wretched condition. We can help someone to get up who's been down in the ditch all of their lives. We can help somebody believe that they can be stronger and better, so much better. We can transform the lives of hurting and broken people. And because, brothers and sisters, I've been blessed, because I've been saved, my desire and my aim as this old humble gospel preacher is just to lift up somebody else. Will you join me? Do you want to be a church and church members that help to transform the lives of hurting people? Do you want to be a change agent through your serving, through your learning? Silver and gold, you may not have, but if you have the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, the ministry of Jesus, the power of Jesus, you too can help somebody to stand up on their feet and make the world take notice of you. You can do more than what you think every time you act like Jesus. People who don't know him, who are struggling in life with anything that has them down, can get to see the transformational church in action. Uh, there's a verse of song that I love that says, if I could help somebody as I travel along, if I could help somebody with a word or song, if I can help somebody from doing wrong, then my living will not be in vain. Then my living will not be in vain. Let us pray. Lord, we come just thanking you for the witness, for the testimony of these unschooled brothers who have the courage, the faith, and the tenacity to be your hands, to be your mouthpiece, and to be your feet in a world in need of light. We thank you, O oh God, that their testimony has not gotten lost in the ancient history books or on scrolls of paper that have yet to be found, but we see it today. And we have been inspired generations and many generations later to know that, God, you can use ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things. And so, Lord, we pray for more courage. We pray that when people look at us, they know that we have been with Jesus. And we pray, 
oh God, that you will continue to provide the cosmic protection that we need as we do this work because light and darkness cannot coexist in the same space. And so we are constantly at war with darkness, but we know, oh God, that with your light working through us, it will cast out darkness even in the most troublesome places. And so we ask that you use us in this hour as we share your hope and your light with those who are hurting. Help us, O oh God, so that we too, each of us, may recognize that you have placed immense power in our hands to make a difference for you. And help us, O oh God, to understand that there is power in just lifting up your name. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we, your people, pray. Amen and amen.